all at the risk of sounding like Jim Nance. Hello, friends. Welcome to a Monday edition of the We Tackle Life podcast. A September 21st edition. We have Ohio State over Tulsa to talk about. We have the Browns over the Texans to talk about. And we have the Bengals losing to the Bears to talk about. Also, a former Ohio State football player. This is Urban Meyer. And... That is unusual, and we will tell you who it is as we proceed through. But first, a reminder that Hemisphere Coffee Roasters Coffee is the best coffee you will find with a great mission, business, and ministry together. Bam, that makes impact. Get it? Business and ministry. B-A-M, business and ministry. Get your orders shipped to you free when you order more than $30 in coffee, chocolate, tea, or any of the other fine products at HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Use the promo code WETACKLELIFE in all caps. And you will get 15% off. They are awesome. Great people. Chocolate is really good. Non-GMO, sugar-free, gluten-free, any kind of free you want, except it's not free to you, but it's more free when you get 15% off by using that promo code. We tackle life in all caps. Uh, The Buckeyes got the victory over Tulsa. A late pick six made it look a little bit more dominant than it was. Ohio State was up by seven. In the third quarter, padded it to 14. Tulsa cut it back to 7, 27-20. Ohio State then scored 34-20 and then returned to pick six toward the finish for a 41-20 final. Ohio State gave up more than 400 yards passing, well north of 400 yards passing. In the first game where the defense was called, not by defensive coordinator Kerry Combs, but by secondary coach Matt Barnes. So I guess I have a question. If Kerry Combs is the defensive coordinator getting paid more than a million dollars a year, and he's not the secondary coach because Matt Barnes is, and he's not the defensive play caller because Matt Barnes is, why is Gary Holmes making a million-plus dollars a year? I know, because he has a contract. That's the reason why. But it's odd to me that they were as public about Combs not calling the defense as they have been. Now, I know it would have been a dead giveaway, kind of, sort of, with Combs up in the booth and Barnes on the sidelines, and you leave yourself open later on in the year if you don't acknowledge that Combs is no, if you don't acknowledge that Combs is no longer calling the defense, then if and when someone finds out about it, and someone would find out about it, I'm sure, uh, then it looks like you're trying to hide something. And it's a bigger story in week seven if you point out that eh, Combs hasn't been calling the defense since week two. But I didn't care for how they hung Kerry Combs out to dry after the game against Oregon. There was a lot of blame to go around. I don't think anybody's position group uh, exactly distinguished itself in that game. I never like scapegoating somebody. The head coach is paid handsomely to take the blame for the bad because he gets the credit for the good. So I don't have a personal relationship with Kerry Combs. I just don't like to see anybody get unjustifiably accused. That's my um, right fighter gene in me, Spiels would say. But it's just curious to me how they've handled this, and I don't think it's realistic to human nature that this could happen. Combs could be essentially demoted have responsibility taken away from him, if not salary and title. I don't think it's human nature that Combs could suffer this without hard feelings. Uh, Will you be surprised if Kerry Combs leaves Ohio State after this season? I won't. This kind of a shakeup happened once before in recent memory. 
I know they change their offensive play calling or process by which plays are called a few years ago when the offense was underachieving. That happened under Urban. Mid-season changes like this are not insignificant. They just aren't. So was Kerry Combs in over his head calling plays? Uh, it's hard for me to believe because he's been a head coach. He's been an NFL coach. You can't coach for Urban Meyer and be a crappy coach. I mean, ask the guys that Urban fired. Uh, and one of them I know wasn't a crappy coach. Ed Warner was an outstanding offensive line coach. The greatest single improvement in a unit I've ever seen was the improvement in Ohio State's offensive line from week two loss to Virginia Tech in 2014 to dominant against Wisconsin, Alabama, and Oregon on the path to the 2014 National Championship. That was Ed Warner got that done. And he got fired a few years later after 31 to nothing to Clemson. So I don't think Holmes is a bad coach. I think he's got a lot of young players. I think they don't get a pass rush at all. And Oregon's a good team. Add those together, it makes for a toxic brew. It led to Kerry Combs losing his job. And again, I think he was scapegoated. And that's not a fun position to be in if you're Kerry Combs. He gets paid a lot. I'm sure he'll deal with it. But it bears watching going forward. It, it definitely bears watching. And I don't think Ohio State looks so good against Tulsa that you think, oh, well, thank you, the defensive issues are solved. No, they have some defensive issues. They have some offensive issues. They are extremely talented at wide receiver, and now we know at running back with Travion Henderson going for a single-game freshman record 277 against Tulsa. Tulsa's a dreadful run defense team. They look like it. If Henderson wants to get that record again, he can probably get it against Akron. If Ryan Day leaves him in the game, my guess would be that Ohio State will win that game so handily that the second half on Saturday night, last one out of Ohio Stadium, turned the lights out. I mean, they had 76,000 people at that game on Saturday. That is an incredibly low number for the second game after they reopened the place to fans following the COVID-induced ban on fans a year ago to have 76,000 in a 100,000-plus seat stadium? I mean, wow, that's incredible. Now, I don't know if that were if that was unsold tickets or purchased tickets and unfilled seats. Gene Smith hopes it's the latter. They did have 10,000 tickets available before Oregon, which was an eye-opener. We'll see, but I think what we are witnessing here is a rule of consumerism. When you make the customer service experience difficult, and they have with a cashless system, and I'm not saying it's a bad system, I'm saying it's a change. People are predisposed not to like change. They got a lot of older fans who come to the games who may not love having to download an app and use an app and show a screen. I know I'm not saying if you're over 65, you can't do that. I'm just saying a lot of people don't want to do that. They want a paper ticket. They want to pay for their parking in cash. They want to pay for their pretzel, water, hot dog, beer in cash to get a gift card, a buck ID card, an app, whatever. It complicates the process because it introduces change. So they've made the customer service experience more difficult. They've unquestionably made it over a period of time more expensive. And then when the team loses, all of a sudden, 
you start to notice flaws, aggravations, inconveniences you never noticed before. I'm curious about Saturday night's attendance. If it's 60, if it's if it's if it's going to be closer to 90,000 or if it's going to be closer to 76, closer to 100,000 or closer to 76,000. That's what I'm curious about because I could see where the magic of a night game, hey, cool night game, only night game in the shoe, let's do it, let's go, yay. Or I could see it being 7.30, Akron? Like, ah, I don't want to give up my Saturday night for that. Like, ah, I don't want to go down there and hassle with getting there and getting home and it's dark and a crappy game, and I could see that too. So where will we be? Mm, don't know, but Ohio State administrative folks on the money side of things, they have to be a little bit curious about what have we wrought with our increased costs and our increased technological reliance. Okay, as for Travion Henderson, great effort by the young man. You should dominate Tulsa. He did. It's funny, I was just thinking the other day, who's the Heisman Trophy frontrunner? Could Bryce Young win the Heisman? Did Johnny Manziel win the Heisman as a freshman? Have we had a Heisman Trophy winner as a freshman? I think we have. I think Johnny won it as a redshirt freshman. Has a true freshman won it yet? Bryce Young's not a true freshman. Travion Henderson is. Uh, I don't think Ohio State's going to be good enough for Travion Henderson to win the Heisman, but and it's silly to even bring that up after 277, but he's unquestionably now their starting running back. They were waiting for somebody to step forward, grab the job, take the job, claim the job. He's done that. He'll be there back from here on out. I never believed the Mayan Williams thing. I'm really surprised they threw Master Teague over. I don't think that uh, will be lost upon future recruits from the state of Tennessee. Master Teague is from the state of Tennessee. That'll be used against Ohio State in recruiting. Just saying, not, not that it's fair, but it is what it is. Travion Henderson, really good back. He'll be here two years and then bye-bye. Uh, he could put up some huge numbers given how dominant they should be up front on the offensive line. They're going to get some guys back, eventually Harry Miller, but that's what they need to do. I said after the Oregon game, they gave up on the run too much. They have to get back to running the football. They did get back to running the football. That's a good sign. I don't have a problem with C.J. Stroud at quarterback. A lot of people do. They're curious. They want the next big thing. They want Quinn Ewers to earn his kombucha money. I hear clamoring for Kyle McCord. I do think we'll see... Somebody besides Stroud take a snap this Saturday night because they're just going to pound Akron into submission. Who will that guy be? That's the most interesting thing about Saturday night's game. Who's going to get the second set of snaps at quarterback? Stroud get the first set, however long it takes him to blow Akron out of the water. Then who gets the second set of snaps? That will be extremely interesting. Okay, so that's my Ohio State story for today, except there's an Urban Meyer angle to the Ohio State story, before we get to the Browns and the Bengals. Uh, Urban Meyer, it seems like every day on my Google News, there is a story about Urban, and he's going to leave Jacksonville, and uh, coaches around the league think he's a crazy person, and his players don't like him, and blah, 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 because they're 0-2. They lost to the Broncos in the aftermath of losing to the Texans in Week 1. So he's playing the Broncos in Week 2, and they have... Uh, access, the Jacksonville guys do, to Draymond Jones, former Buckeye who plays defensive line for the Denver Broncos. Draymond Jones played at Ignatius in Cleveland. And, 
he had a nice Ohio State career. I'm actually surprised at this. But Draymond uh, just pretty much lit Urban up. Here's what he said prior to the game on Sunday. NFL coach-wise, he's going to have to shake things up how he was doing. How he coached us was, he didn't really blank with you if you weren't like a player. If you weren't playing, those conversations didn't exist. Like I was a four-star recruit. This man was out here hyping my head up. Uh, Like we'd walk past in the hallway and I'd say, how you doing, coach? This man looked at me like I was crazy for speaking to him and just keep walking. He showed zero respect, zero respect. I'm like, this is the type of dude you are? As things go on, I'm starting to learn more. Every time he talks to you, it feels like it was his first time talking to you. It's like he didn't remember having a conversation with you. So uh, Draymond, apparently not a fan of some of Urban's methods. Uh, This is not a surprise to anyone who uh, knows even a little bit about the inner sanctum of Ohio State football every day. I said it many times on the podcast before. Every day is a proving ground with Urban. That makes a lot of people uncomfortable. A lot of people can't exist in that environment. Hence, when you get the chance to pay him back methods, you do. Uh, Nick Saban coaches the same way. A lot of coaches coach that way. It's the modern day, well, not the modern day. It's the it's the equivalent of, in the old days, guys would grab you by a face mask, throw you around. Uh, nowadays, you got the kinder, gentler, you know, they know they can't bully you, can't demean you. Urban's in between those two eras. So he's got not the worst of the Woody Bear Bryant era, and he's not got the best of the kinder, gentler Ryan Day, you know, era, but he's somewhere in the middle. And Urban lost, like, what, 32 games in his entire 17-year career as a college coach? So he doesn't suffer fools. Saban doesn't suffer fools. If you watch the football life on Saban this week, that was really well done. Everything NFL Network does is really well done. And uh, Saban makes every day a proving ground, too. And you want seven national championship rings when you're at Bama, you think it's great. And if you uh, are a guy who has to play in that situation, you probably don't think it's so great. So uh, that's where we are with Urban and with Draymond Jones. Okay, to the Browns. Uh, First, Willis Spangler Starling, the law firm of choice of the Bruce Hooley podcast, also known as the We Tackle Life podcast. Willis Spangler Starling located in Hilliard. Truman Boulevard, those are the attorneys you need if you have anyone pressing an action against you, or if you need to press an action, defend your legal rights, have a contract looked at, check into whether your employer has been kosher with you on employee law, wills, estate planning, probate, social security disability, lots and lots of ways that your life can intersect with the law. Make sure that if and when it does, you are protected with the expertise, integrity, and character of the attorneys from Willis Spangler, Starling online, willisattorneys.com, W-I-L-L-I-S, willisattorneys.com. Browns get the win over the Texans. And I think the Browns were fortunate. Now, I say lucky, I say fortunate that Tyrod Taylor got hurt late in the first half. Tyrod Taylor was playing, brother, and he was... Making life difficult on the Browns. Tied football game at halftime, 14-14. to 14. 
I think the Browns would have probably won that game, but it would not have been a shocker if Tyrod Taylor had gotten his revenge against the Browns. So they got the rookie back up from Stanford. He was hopelessly overmatched, and the Browns get the win. Uh, Baker looked okay. Nick Chubb looked really good. Kareem Hunt always looks good to me. Uh, I think it's a good win for the Browns. Uh, They get back to it and uh, atone for the loss in week one at Kansas City. As for Jarvis Landry, hurt early in the game, mm, that's going to be a problem if he's out for a couple of weeks, which I assume that he will be. He's week to week with an MCL sprain. Odell Beckham Jr. It's not everybody who can lose uh, a Jarvis Landry and bring back with an Odell Beckham Jr., but the Browns can, and they maybe they will this week for when they play the Bears. Uh, who will be the Bears quarterback? Now, if you were watching the Bears and the Bengals yesterday, and how nice was it here in Columbus to be able to watch them both, you know that the Bears took Andy Dalton out of the game with a eh, bit of a ankle thing. Andy Dalton's on the sideline telling everybody he's fine. Matt Nagy says, no, you're not fine. You're not fine. You are out. <laughs> so Andy Dalton sits out the second half, and the Bears win the game against the Bengals, thanks in no small part to uh, a pick six by uh, one of their linebackers, the linebacker from Georgia, Roquan, Roquan Smith, I want to say. But Joe Burrow threw three interceptions on three consecutive attempts at one point. One was batted, another one was taken downfield, one by Smith was taken back for touchdown. That is not Joe Burrow. Uh, I mean, it was Joe Burrow, but that can't be Joe Burrow. So uh, pretty interesting that uh, the Bears come in. They say they're going to start Dalton. They say they're not going to start Justin Fields. They're going to start Dalton if he's healthy. That's what they said. How did I? What did I think of Justin Fields watching him? Okay, I watched him the whole second half, and I I continue to believe, and I'm very surprised I haven't heard anyone else say this yet. I continue to believe that Justin Fields' throwing motion is a little bit prolonged. Doesn't mean he won't be a good quarterback. He sees it. He anticipates. You can get away with it. I just don't think it's ideal. Uh, He got away with, and he got away with it because he made a great play. He fumbled the ball, and it was a Bengal scoop and score. He got blindsided, fumbled, balls on the ground. Bengal linebacker is going to pick that thing up and take it back for six. And I don't know how he did it, but Fields reached out and stole the ball away from the backer, saved the points, kept the possession for the Cincinnati uh, for the uh, Chicago Bears. So a really, really outstanding play by Justin Fields there on the heels of you know a bonehead play. But you can't really, I don't think, blame a kid. Uh, I don't blame any quarterback when he gets hit from behind and the ball comes out. I mean, you can't see that coming. That's going to happen. So just, I thought Justin Fields, eh, okay. I see why the Bears are starting Andy Dalton. I don't think I would start Justin Fields yet. Looks to me like just a little bit fast for him right now. Looks like maybe the playbook, not 100% open to him. Uh, Dalton, they thought, may have some ACL stuff. Uh, Matt Nagy said after the game, if he's healthy, uh, then, you know, They'll go with him. So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, 
In other NFL news, uh, I mentioned the 30 for 30 on Nick Saban. Uh, I also had the chance last night. I don't know why I was left with like an hour of free time last night. So I watched the Nick Saban 30 for 30. And then I watched the Charles Woodson 30 for 30. Uh, the Charles Woodson 30 for 30. I know you guys all have the Jones for Woodson because he's a Fremont, Ohio guy and Michigan guy and all that. The Charles Woodson 30 for 30 was really, really good. And uh, a lot of Michigan stuff in it. So be forewarned. Don't watch it if that's going to drive you crazy. Uh, Woodson's got a huge ego, uh, but it's hard to say, you know, he shouldn't because he's, he's a, been a big time player everywhere he's been. And he's a gold jacket guy. So here is something I stumbled across that brings Charles Woodson together with the late comedian Norm MacDonald. Now, I like Norm MacDonald, the comedian. He died last week of cancer. And I got to say, I have great admiration for Norm MacDonald having cancer and not saying anything about it. Now, that's a way to handle it. Uh, I think, I don't know if Norm MacDonald could have affected as any lives had he gone public with his battle like the Spielmans so eloquently did. Uh, Chris and Stephanie made just an amazingly selfless decision to show everyone transparently how they battled courageously and were sustained by their faith through Steph's decade-long-plus battle. They raised into the $20 million range, mid-$20 million. The fund is still going strong. It's done so much good. Could a comedian do that in Hollywood? I don't think so, because Norm MacDonald was not a, not a beloved guy. Norm MacDonald was an outsider. And the best gig he ever had in his career was hosting Saturday Night Live's uh, Weekend Update. And he lost that gig because he made jokes about O.J. Simpson. And Don Olmeyer, the head of NBC, was an O.J. Simpson guy. And so he didn't like Norm MacDonald, so they fired him. But Norm MacDonald in 1998 <laughs> hosted... I uh, believe it was, yeah, it was the ESPYs. February of 1998, Norm MacDonald hosting the ESPYs. Charles Woodson is in the crowd. Uh, here is the joke where Norm MacDonald brings Charles Woodson and O.J. Simpson together uh, for a laugh. And there's Charles Woodson. How about that? Oh, what a season he had. He became the first defensive player to win the Heisman Trophy. And congratulations, Charles. That is something that no one can ever take away from you. Unless you kill your wife and a waiter, in which case... <laughs> I don't think they ever did take O.J.'s Heisman away from him. No, they didn't. Oh, man. That's something else, Charles. Don't, uh, don't do that. Don't do that, Charles. Okay, so uh, that seems an odd segue to the faith portion of the podcast. Uh, so let me mention my friends at auiinfo.com. They help your business stay in business. They're an insurance brokerage. They've been in business since way back when Ohio State was drawing like 76,000 fans in a football game. 
not that far back, but close into the 1970s. A family business, 17 employees. You'll be so happy that you went to their site, typed in your questions, auiinfo.com, and found out, am I spending a judicious amount of money getting the right return for my investment on what I'm spending for benefits? Life, vision, dental, disability, health, all these things. These are readily available answers, but not if you research it yourself. Who's a site I can trust? Who do I know is telling me the straight scoop that won't get me in trouble with the government on rules compliance, on COVID, on masks, on this, on that, on vaccines? AUIinfo.com knows those answers because those answers are the lifeblood of their business. They will maintain their relationship with you. You won't hear from them only on the day that you have to pay for your benefit plan and then, ooh, they're a vapor, they're gone forever. No, AUIinfo.com is all about customer service, education, analysis, advice, and friendship. They are the firm you should be dealing with when it comes to benefits or HR training, an HR specialist on-site dedicated free to you, auiinfo.com. Again, they're paid by the companies that you select to do business with. You do not pay AUI. So that's not why it's worth what you pay because it's worth a lot. It's just you don't pay. They get paid by others. auiinfo.com, auiinfo.com. Now, in the faith portion of the podcast, I want to talk about our mission in life. I had a chance yesterday, Sunday, to chat with a doctor from Haiti. He has an amazing story, Dr. T. Dr. T's story is he was a young boy whose parents were poverty-stricken, could not afford to send him to school. How much would it have cost to send him to school? Three dollars three dollars for an entire year of school in Haiti his parents could not afford it he was playing in a group of boys not going to school when a missionary from world vision said to him why are you not going to school well we don't have the money this missionary picked T out of a crowd of boys 20 of them and he was then funded by world vision so he could go to school only up through primary school, which they consider to be seventh grade. Then he was back where he was before, on the streets, too young to work, no school. When a man from Minneapolis came in and the same scenario played out, why are you not going to school? Don't have the money, parents can't afford it. This man bankrolled T to go to what they call secondary school, which is high school, and paid for his first few years of college. T was going to be a doctor. In the midst of his studies, this gentleman in Minneapolis ran into a situation where he could no longer afford to be ministry-minded with that amount of money that it was taking to pay for T's school, pay for his lodging, pay for his food, pay for his clothes, everything. And so he told him, I'm sorry, I can't pay for you anymore. So T went to the local church and stayed for the next two years, two years, in a broom closet. He lived in a broom closet at the church 
until the aftermath of the Haitian earthquake in 2010, the first devastating earthquake in Haiti. And a group of people from my church, Northwest Chapel in Columbus, in Dublin, went down to Haiti to help dig out from the earthquake. T was there. The same thing. They followed one of the gentlemen in the group, followed T home one day to this ramshackle church, the broom closet at the church where T was living. And he said, do you live here? And T said, well, yes, I do. I'm not proud of it. I'm ashamed of it, but I just don't have the means. Haiti is just so incredibly poverty stricken. So this gentleman, in concert with others, paid for the rest of T's schooling. So now we flash forward to 2021, 11 years after this. T is a doctor. He has a foundation of 355 young people that he pays for their education. He has started a nursing school with 40 students. He is giving back. He could live, he could move out of Haiti, be a doctor somewhere else. He could luxuriate if he wanted to stay in Haiti in a lifestyle that his medical abilities would enable him to enjoy. He is instead a humble, selfless servant who has founded his health care initiative on three characteristics. First, compassion. He doesn't charge people if they can't pay. If they can pay, they don't pay any more than 50 cents. 50 cents for medical treatment. Number one, compassion. Number two, competence. People need competent care. He gives it to them. And number three is Christ. He prays with and for every one of his patients. And so T has had built into his life periods of waiting, periods of wondering, periods of adversity, periods of poverty, but never periods of resentment or doubt. He has his entire life hung on to the truth that God had a plan for his life and that he was supposed to devote himself to figuring out what that was on a daily basis. He stayed focused on serving others rather than on complaining about his personal plight in life. He is, to me, a perfect epitomization of taking whatever God gives us, good, bad, indifferent, unpleasant, fantastic, whatever it is, and trying to use it through the prism of how he can glorify God. It was an enormous blessing for me to hear his story, to experience his passion, it made me way more grateful for the fact that I grew up in this country. But it was so cool to see how this gentleman who was born in Haiti, this gentleman who has experienced adversity that I likely will never, ever experience, he and I share 
the exact same foundation in our life. And I just think that's so beautiful and so powerful and so transformative and so hopeful. And so I wanted to share that with you and use it as an illustration once more of focus, perspective, things that we sometimes can allow to get lost when we are worried about ourself, um, internalize everything, view ourselves as a victim, see everything that happens as unjust, undeserved, and some of it may be. A lot of what happened to T was unjust, luck of the draw, bad luck of the draw. But to see the joy uh, in him and to know that it's a joy that comes from Jesus, not a joy that comes from circumstances, was a real um, illuminating experience for me. And I hope for you as well. So uh, with that, uh, that'll conclude uh, this episode of the We Tackle Life podcast. I hope you have uh, a great beginning to your week. And we'll see what Ryan Day has to say on Tuesday. We'll see what Jarvis Landry and Andy Dalton's MRIs tune up, turn up. And we'll see where we proceed when we reconvene on Wednesday for another edition of the We Tackle Life podcast. Review us on iTunes. Subscribe. Send me an email. We Tackle Life at gmail.com.